Good morning. We have come now, right, to the third Sunday of Easter, and we are continuing to recall um, Jesus' resurrection appearances that, that we see in John's Gospel. We've come now to this wonderful story in uh, John chapter 21 about Jesus meeting his disciples on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. In our reading, John calls it Tiberias. It's the same place, just a different name. Um, The Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. That is the setting of our story this morning. Why don't you open up your Bibles, if you've got them, um, or your Bible app on your phone, to John chapter 21. And I'd love for you to just just follow along. We're going to look at this story and see um, what is going on here. And there are really three things we're going to see. Um, the first, we, we, we see these disciples, um, and, and they're searching, right? And they're seeking God, and, and they're seeking Jesus, and they're not sure what's going on. And they make a decision to, to put themselves to work right where they are. They're not sure what to do, and they, they put themselves to the task at hand. That's the first thing we see. Uh, the second thing we see is that Jesus then meets them in their failure, And the third thing we see is they are invited by Jesus to participate in the work that he has already accomplished, okay? They're seeking, they're failing, and they're invited to participate. So we're in John chapter 21. We're on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, but the last time we saw these disciples was actually in Jerusalem, right? Um, They were holed up in the upper room, We see them there twice. The first one was on the day of Jesus' resurrection. Um, They're they're holed away. The doors are locked. They're afraid that they are going to suffer the same fate that Jesus did. And while they're sitting there with the doors locked, all of a sudden, Jesus appears. He appears and He says, peace be with you. And He commissions them, right? He sends them out. He says, look, I want you, I'm sending you out just as the Father sent me. In the same way God sent me here, I'm sending you out there to proclaim this message, this good news. And it seems like maybe the disciples gave it a try. Because the next thing we hear is a few of them are out on the road or or somewhere and they meet Thomas. They find Thomas, their their, uh, friend who is not there, their disciple friend who's not there when Jesus arrived appeared the first time. And they say, all right, we're going to try this out. Hey, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. Seems like an easy way to try it out. We're going to see how people respond to this. Thomas says, I will not believe that. I will not believe unless I see him, unless I touch the holes where the nails pierced his wrists and, and stick my hand in his side. I will not believe. The disciples say, well, okay. And they go back to the upper room and they lock the doors. And Jesus comes again and says, peace be with you. And he, he talks to Thomas and then he, he, says, he says to all of them, he says, he says, you've seen and believed, but blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. And that blessing is a promise. There are those who will not see Jesus and yet they will believe. 
And so now we have the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. He's given them the, the Holy Spirit. Remember in, in sort of a mini Pentecost, a preview of the, the Pentecost to come, he, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he commissions them. He says, go out just as, I've sent, just as God sent me, I'm sending you. And then he declares that those who do not see him and believe, they're blessed. And now we're in Galilee. And what we realize is Jesus still has more work to do with these disciples. He's not finished teaching them and equipping them and preparing them. And so they move on to Galilee. And we're not sure why they went there, but it's likely that they were simply doing what Jesus had told them to do. If you remember in Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel, he he says, "Um, after my death and resurrection, I will meet you in Galilee. And then when the women come to the empty tomb, they say, the angel there says, Go and tell Peter that he is risen and he will meet him in Galilee. And so they go back to Galilee, where it all started. When they arrive on many levels, they simply do not know what to do. And so they decide to go fishing. They decide to go fishing. Now, commentators have made a lot of this decision trying to figure out what it means. Is this the simple activity of aimless men, men who don't know what to do, and so they say, well, let's go fishing? Or is this an act of apostasy, of of turning their backs on Jesus and turning back to the way things used to be for them? Or are they simply hungry? They need something to eat seems to me that none of these really quite gets at their motivation. Clearly, they're not apostate. They're possibly hungry. But this, to me, seems like an intentional choice. Not, not an aimless wandering, but an intentional choice to do what they need to do in the midst of great uncertainty. One commentator puts it this way. He says, the disciples do not know what to do. So they do that which is necessary. They don't know what to do, so they do that which is necessary. Have you ever felt this way? Searching or wandering, maybe wondering what's next. Maybe you've reached a season in life or ministry and you're thinking, what's next, Lord? What do you have prepared for me? Or maybe, and I'm sure there's plenty of people in this position, maybe you're searching for God sort of period, not for what's next, but God, where are you? Maybe you knew Him growing up, maybe you knew Him at one point in your life, or maybe you have never known Him and you've come to this point of what may feel like helplessness, questioning, wondering, Jesus, where are you? Who are you? Have you been there? I think that's where these disciples were. And I think there's something to be learned. Where they would do what is necessary. That they would seek Jesus by doing the work that's in front of them. That, that they would seek Him by, by, by doing the work that's there for them to do. Rather than waiting or flailing, they say, we're going fishing. And so that's what they do. They jump in the boat. They pack up their nets. And they do what's necessary. They make the most of it. They, they go out and they go fishing. And this could be, right, a great American success story. They were at a very low point. They went fishing, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, and they had huge success. But they didn't. 
they caught exactly zero fish. Now, it's one thing for me to go fishing and catch zero fish, but these were fishermen. And they went fishing and caught zero fish. In fact, what's really amazing is these fishing by profession disciples, at least some of them, they only catch fish when Jesus helps them. And this night, they caught none. They caught zero. They took the first steps of living life after Jesus' death and resurrection, and they failed miserably. But then they look up. Right? They look up. And they see a mysterious figure on the beach. Who who is that? Then all of a sudden, they hear him calling out to them, Hello! Hello! Have you caught any fish? So there's there in verse 5, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And we're thinking, oh, that's so endearing. This is a loving father saying, children, have you, have you caught any fish this evening? But no, this, the, the, this phrasing in, in the Greek, this isn't a loving father. This is a fishing buddy making fun of his friends because he knows they haven't caught any fish and they've been working for 12 hours. He's like, hey, how's that fishing coming, guys? Got anything? They answered him, no. Who is, who is this guy? And then he says to them, he says, cast the net out on the right side. You'll find some. It's a command with a promise. Do this. You'll find some fish. And what do you think? I mean, they're sitting in the boat. And they're like, who is this landlubber telling us to go fishing? We haven't caught anything. We just want to go home. But they do it. And they cast the net on the other side of the boat. And to their astonishment, they are overwhelmed with fish. They're overwhelmed. They can't even haul the net into the boat. And John looks again. And he's like, who is this guy? And he looks at him. He says, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. And Peter, thrilled, jumps into the lake, into the sea. He cannot wait till the boat rows back. He, he jumps in and he swims to shore, the boat following closely behind them with the fish to meet and see Jesus again. And they rejoice. They have seen again their leader, their teacher, their Lord, their friend is back. What rejoicing must have been going on there on the Sea of Galilee? Of course, though, what is, what is striking here is when Jesus is revealed to them, he meets them in their failure. Zero fish. They're searching, they're lost, they're desperate. They do the one thing that they know how to do, and they come up with nothing Certainly, this would have been a low point in their lives, and and at that low point is where Jesus shows up. Now, I'm not saying that's the only time He shows up in our lives, but it's when we're the most accessible. It's harder to get through when things are going well, when times are good in the midst of prosperity and abundance. It's, It's harder to hear that still, small voice of God when everything is just going swimmingly. It's hard to hear it when maybe things aren't going so well, but we sure can put up a good facade and pretend, right? But when it's not worth pretending anymore, when things are at their worst, 
when we've been searching and crying out and hearing nothing, C.S. Lewis famously puts in his book, A Grief Observed, he, he talks about God seeming like latching the door from the inside. He feels that distant from him. When we're in that spot, we can hear Jesus the most clearly. That's when we meet him. And he shows up. He shows up. In the midst of their failure, Jesus shows up in an amazing way. And he does that time and time again in our lives. If you're feeling lost and desperate, Jesus is ready to meet you in your lostness and in your desperation. So it was with the disciples. And so when they get to shore, they find Jesus on the beach, there's this striking realization. He's already made breakfast. There's a charcoal fire. There's fish on the fire. There's bread. He's already made breakfast. And yet he says to them, bring the fish that you caught, right? There in verse 10, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And then there's this amazingly detailed account. They, they go and they haul the net ashore full of large fish. How many, you may ask? 153, to be precise. I don't think this number means anything in particular other than the fact that that's a ton of fish. Jesus provided in abundance. And they bring the fish over. The fact that the net was not torn is an amazement in itself. And he says, come and have breakfast. How sweet would those words be in the early dawn hours on the banks of the Sea of Galilee to hear your Lord say to you, come and sit with me and have breakfast. How sweet would that be? Jesus has everything the disciples need. He's provided it all. He's got a fire. He has fish. He has bread. It's all there. It's a gift waiting to be received. Why didn't he there on the shore say, hey guys, it's me. I've got your breakfast. Come on in. No, he told him, he said, there's fish on the other side of the boat. They didn't know he had fish on the fire. He told the disciples to fish not because they needed to for their own provision, but he was allowing them to participate in what he's already accomplished. Do you see that? He's allowing them to participate in the work that he's already done. Why? So that they might fully recognize who he is. That somehow in, in, in joining God in this work of getting fish, the disciples can see Jesus more clearly. I think I've shared this um, illustration with you all before, but, but bear with me because I, I think it's good. How, how many of you like to bake cookies? Any cookie bakers in here? There's a few. I know some of you like to bake cookies. I like to eat cookies. Um, we bake cookies in our house. Now, what's the easiest way to bake cookies? To get everything out and to do it yourself and make some cookies and stick them in the oven or to invite a bunch of little people who like to eat cookie dough to help you make the cookies? What's more effective and more efficient? Stick it in the oven, right? 
So why would you invite cookie eaters to help you make cookies? It's not because it's faster or better or cleaner. It's because you want to be with them. You want them to know your love for them. You want them to participate. Look, in my house, if cookies are getting made, this is an already accomplished fact. Even though it hadn't happened yet, we're making cookies and we're going to eat them. But it's so much better when we do it together. God's inviting these disciples to know who He is. And He's giving them this great gift, not just to know Him and sit back and watch, but to participate. Not participate in something that they have to make sure they work hard at to finish, but participate in something that is already finished. It's already done. In Jesus' death and resurrection, God has already given us everything we need. He's forgiven our sin. He's not waiting for us to to somehow atone for it. He's done that. He's given us new life by sharing in the resurrection of Jesus. He's defeated evil. When we look out in this world and we see pain, when we experience suffering, when we weep over death, We do so knowing that these things are defeated. They're done for. That Christ is coming back and they will be wiped off the face of this earth. These things, they're accomplished. They are happening with or without us. But we're invited to participate in that. There's nothing we can do to add to them, to add to our salvation. And yet we're invited to join God, to join Jesus in the work He has already done. To join Him in proclaiming the gospel with our lips and with our lives. And so I'm quite certain that there are plenty of people in this room who are either sort of flailing around and wondering, God, what are you calling us to do? What, 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 do, you, what do you have for me? Is There's nothing I can do, Right? Or there's some of you wondering, where is God, period? It feels like that door is closed. And yet what Jesus says to both of you is, the work is already finished. The work is done. There's nothing you can do to add to your salvation. There's no work you can do to make things right or better. But now that you know that, won't you come alongside me? And share with me in it. Won't you come close to me? I've got work for you to do. Purpose. Ministry. I've got salvation on the offer. A new life. It's merely yours to receive. And so this Easter season, as we, as we sit here and stand in the glory of Jesus' resurrection, is my prayer that we would be encouraged to participate with him in this gospel proclamation. That we would be be assured that Christ has work for us to do, meaningful and purposeful work that proclaims his kingdom, that proclaims his gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. 
through the resurrection and death of Jesus, may we know his love for us and may we go forth proclaiming it boldly. Let us pray. Lord, may your Holy Spirit fall on us that we would receive your grace and mercy in the midst of our failure, that we would joyfully participate in the work of your kingdom, and that in doing so, we proclaim your gospel to all we come in contact with. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.